This is a special fundraising encore presentation. You can give at MyFaithRadio.com. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. How are you doing today? I hope you've had a great day, and I hope you are ready for some outstanding Bible teaching. Uh, Jeff Redorn is my guest today. We're going to continue our series on Who is This Jesus? And as uh, we've been unfolding this teaching, we're going to talk today about uh, atonement and the work of Christ on the cross. And I hope and pray it's going to be a very encouraging hour for you. Jeff is a Bible teacher and a longtime friend. Always glad to have him on the show. Jeff, welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. Thanks. Thanks. Well, let's get uh, back into who is this Jesus and maybe do a little recap of what we discussed last time before we move on. Absolutely. So we're doing this series and we're calling it the Who Is This Jesus? And if you recall, we're kind of covering who is this Jesus from beginning to end. Now, of course, Jesus being the eternal God has no beginning and has no end, but I'm speaking biblically, of course. So we looked at, for example, the Old Testament prophecies for Christ in the Old Testament. We saw that Christ uh, actually appears in the Old Testament in what we call Christophanies, broadly, more broadly, theophanies. So when Jacob wrestled with God, he was actually, I believe, wrestling with Christ, the physical um, um, God in flesh, the person of God in flesh, if you will. And then we looked at his birth and his incarnation. Last week, we were covering uh, the, the some of the prophecies for Christ then leading up to the final week of Christ, including the cross and what happened on the cross. So last week, we kind of looked at this idea of of what is called the atonement on the cross. And remember, I love the passage in, in the very first chapter of John. John the Baptist sees this Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, there's a theological concept behind that simple line when John says that here is Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. And that's basically called or described as the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Last time, we read some of the things, for example, like from uh, Isaiah 53, where this concept was foreshadowed or prophesied uh, by the prophet Isaiah, where this Jesus would be the lamb that was slaughtered. He would be punished for our transgressions. It was the Lord's will to crush him. He bore the sins of many. He was stricken by God. He was pierced for our transgressions. And so one of the key concepts that we talked about is that one of the things that happened on the cross, very simply, is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for my sins. And Jeff, all of Israel would have known about the sacrificial system of sacrificing an animal on behalf of your sins. And in fact, when we looked at some of the symbolic representations of this atonement, we actually talked about that Passover, that first Passover, when Israel was instructed by God to take a lamb, Mm -hmm. to slaughter it, put its blood above the doorpost, and then the death angel would pass over their house. So for literally almost 1,500 years, Israel had been practicing this Passover uh, by sacrificing the lamb without spot or blemish, this perfect lamb, for uh, for 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 this sin, so that this death angel would pass over, and lo and behold, John the Baptist says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Well, if you would have heard that, and you were a Jew in the first century, that is where exactly where your mind would have gone. Hmm. Um, so he is the Lamb. By the way, just as the Passover Lamb was a a spotless Lamb without blemish, so too the Christ was spotless uh, without sin. So he was tempted, just like we are. 
yet was without sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And if you've missed any of this series, it's been great. And you can always head over to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. Do a search for his name and all of the episodes will turn up. All right, Jeff. So one of the other things that we talked about that I just wanted to mention really quickly again is this idea of whether or not Christ's work on the cross was limited to some or universal to all. It's it's actually a really big question, and and uh, actually Christianity has been debating this question for about 500 years, actually. Uh, one side of Christianity says that his work on the cross was limited only to the elect— um, others say that it was universal that Christ died for all. And so last time, if you want to go back and listen to that, we actually read a whole bunch of passages, I think like 20, maybe even more, where, it, where Scripture clearly says that Christ died for all. And including one of the most powerful is First John 2, where it says Christ was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning believers, meaning the elect, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so Christ died for believers and unbelievers alike. He died for all. And that is the plain uh, teaching of Scripture over and over. We then went through our example. One of the great kind of earthly examples of this is what happened to George Wilson back in the 1800s. And I won't say the whole story again, but the, the picture was clear. God has pardoned the world of sin just like George Wilson was pardoned for his crime back in the 1800s. But George Wilson rejected that pardon, and therefore he was hanged. But he wasn't hanged for his crime of capital murder, I would argue. I would argue he was hanged because he rejected the pardon. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I think the picture spiritually now uh, is exactly the same with God. Mm -hmm. But I... Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, Jeff, I, I'm I'm stuck at Romans 5.10 that also says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Uh, yes. I mean, there it is. So what Christ died for us while we were sinners, meaning every, and everybody is a sinner. We know this uh, from Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all born by our natural state. We'll talk about this in a minute. Uh, as as sinners, as being enemies of God, separated from God, alienated from God. Standing and, condemned. Correct. Yeah. And we therefore stand condemned before God. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually in a study this morning of, of, uh, of, we were covering Ephesians 5, and it says that God's wrath remains on those who are disobedient. Um, that's the state of the lost man. Mm-hmm. They are going to face a judgment and a condemnation, a future condemnation. We'll also talk about that in a minute. Good. Um, Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our study on who is this Jesus. And uh, Jeff, I love I love the review because I think it always helps to get us situated and right back uh, on track to where we're going. Perfect. So here is where we're going. We are going to cover uh, God's plan of salvation then, because if all this atonement stuff is true, um, then what does it mean? What does it mean for the, the guy walking the street today? What is God's plan of salvation? How do we personalize this atonement and make it our own? So I wanted to walk through about a 10-step process here, or 10 key ideas or components of this of, of God's plan of salvation, starting at the very beginning with man's problem. 
So just like George Wilson, who had a problem, he was found guilty before the authority of capital murder and was going to face death. So too man's problem is that in Adam, we are all dead. We've all, every single one of us, have inherited this sinful nature from Adam. Remember, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fell that day. And God said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Well, they didn't die physically. They walked out of the garden. So the, what? Did, how did they die? They died spiritually. Mm-hmm. And every single person that's ever been born on this planet ever since has been born spiritually dead in need of spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And that's our condition. First Corinthians fifteen twenty two. For in Adam, all died. Romans three, like I just mentioned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians four said we are all separated from God, dead in our sins. Ephesians two says, uh, Scripture defines or describes, I should say, lost people as being as being ignorant, lost in darkness, unbelievers, separated from God, blind. These are all descriptions that God uses to describe those who are lost, who are dead in their sins. That's their position before God. In fact, Paul calls them God's enemies. They are separated from him. And so Ephesians 5 says that God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. They're disobedient, by the way, because they don't obey the gospel yeah. of Jesus Christ. Jeff, what if I don't want to be thrown in that group? Don't say that I participated in Adam's disobedience because I didn't. Well, What if I said that? Because the answer is, is that, as we just read, in Adam, we all died. Paul clearly indicates, both in Corinthians and in Romans, actually, that in this first man, we all bear the likeness of the first man, the man from earth, who is Adam. Adam fell. He has passed that on to every single person who's ever lived. Theologians, obviously, have called this original sin. It's the idea that we're all fallen because of Adam's sin uh, and so on. But, But look, I've heard commentators say this. We are dead in our sins both by nature and by choice. Mm-hmm. So, look, I don't know of anybody who's been able to live even a week without sinning themselves. So we've inherited a sin nature. We also sin by choice, and therefore death has come to all men because all have sinned. Mm-hmm. If you just joined us, Jeff Verdorn is my guest, and we're going through our study called Who is This Jesus? as we're learning more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, all right, Jeff. So God's desire, that's man's problem. Now, what is God's desire? Well, Scripture, I think, is very clear of what God's heart is towards this world. John 3.16, obviously, is probably the most famous uh, declaration of God's kind of understanding or plan of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It was motivated out of love. But elsewhere in Scripture, it says that God wishes none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. That's God's heart. He doesn't want any to be lost. In fact, First Timothy 2, 4 says he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Matthew 18 says he's not willing that any should perish. Do you remember when Jesus says, how I've longed to gather you, Israel, like a hen gathers her chicks, Mm -hmm. yet you were not willing. But that is God's heart. He wants every single person on this planet to know him and be saved through faith in him. Ezekiel says it this way, he takes no pleasure in the death of anybody. And I think that's a spiritual death, the eternal death, the second death, what Revelation describes as the second death. That's God's desire. Mm Mm-hmm. So if man has a problem and God has the desire of his heart that none be saved, 
or none should be, lost, should be lost, but all should be saved. Um, what is God's solution to that? Well, Romans 5 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God gave himself as a ransom for all, First Timothy 2.6. And First Timothy 4 says that he is the Savior of all men. And First John 2 says that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That atoning sacrifice word is this word propitiation. Um, it's the idea of a satisfaction, uh, the need to have a sacrifice for sin. Uh, once again, Israel would have seen this concept for 1,500 years in the sacrificial system. But remember, the blood and bulls of goat and goats can't take away the sin. You needed a, excuse me, you needed a perfect sacrifice who, who, who God provided in his son by coming to this earth and providing that perfect sacrifice for us. And Jesus came willingly. He did, and he went to the cross. He, there wasn't an angry God in heaven saying, all right, son, you get there and do this. No, yeah. He that's... followed him in perfect obedience. Correct. But I it mean, was out of love. It was out of love. The idea that God somehow is this angry God in need of a sacrifice, um, it's actually, you know, this concept in the pagan world is actually a common concept for the quote-unquote gods of this world who need a sacrifice. You know, you need to throw somebody in the volcano to appease the gods, right? That's that's not the biblical account of God's love motivated by his love for us that he would give his only son. He demonstrated his love for us in this. So while the pagan angry God demands a sacrifice from, from us to appease God, the biblical God provided himself as our sacrifice for our sins. I mean, that's that's light years difference, yeah. right? You see that? Yeah, I wasn't super comfortable when you were talking about, you know, throwing someone to the volcano because you were looking <laughs> my direction when you said that. And I got to be honest, Jeff, I was not comfortable with that. It's usually a, an attractive woman. So, so you, know, you should have yeah. been looking at Rosie, not yeah, me. Yeah, should have been looking yeah. at Rosie. So there you go. There, so. Um, so that's God's solution. That is the, that, I mean, so we talked about what happened on the cross, the atoning sacrifice that happened. Christ was the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish for the sins of the world. And that is God's solution. He has now pardoned the world of sin. The world needs to understand that God has paid the penalty for sin. It's done. He's pardoned you of sin. So now the question is, so if God has pardoned everybody, why isn't everyone saved? Hmm. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Oh, amen. And that's a beautiful thought. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And we'll be back with lots more in just a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. That welcome music belongs to Jeff Verdorn, and I always uh, enjoy uh, Jeff's teaching and always glad to have him here in studio. He's a friend of mine and Bible teacher, and we're continuing our series on who is this Jesus, and uh, right now we are uh, um, having a Great discussion, as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he has a plan of salvation. And who is who is it for, Jeff? So we've looked at all man's problems, every mm -hmm. single person. 
We saw God's desire for every single person. We saw God's solution for every single person on the planet. And so now I want to turn to God's call. God has a solution to fix the problem of sin and death, and he calls all of mankind to this solution. So I want to focus on a passage in John 12. Jesus says, when I, will, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Not just some men, but all men. Mm-hmm. All men are drawn to Christ. And you say, well, well, wait a minute. Have you ever been in a conversation with some people? I remember sitting around a campfire with some friends one time, and we started talking about things of faith. And someone brought up, well, what about the guy in the Amazon rainforest who's never heard of Jesus? What mm-hmm. is God going to do with this person? It's fascinating to me how everybody is so concerned about this guy in the Amazon because he I, always comes up. I always admire the person that brings this man up. Yeah. Because you care about this person. And, and I got other stuff on my plate, right? <laughs> I hope they care. And I say, I say, you know what? If everybody's so concerned about it, maybe someone should go down there and tell him about Jesus is, is, has always been my response, too. So, um, But we have, let's answer that question. How does God draw all men to himself? So I actually see a number of things in Scripture. First is Ecclesiastes 3 says that God puts eternity in man's heart. Right. And if I can just interject, uh, Jeff, there, the question that is brought up in my mind is, is God capable of reaching this man in the Amazon? Is that within his ability? Oh, absolutely. Of course it is. If you call on the Lord, he will answer you, right? Yes. Jeremiah and, 33. And does he have a way of revealing himself to this man in the Amazon? Yes. That's where we're going, actually. So how does he reveal himself? So first, this eternity, right? If if you look back at every culture across all the centuries, virtually everyone has some idea that there is an existence after physical death. They have some idea or notion of life after death. So if you were lived in Egypt and you were a pharaoh, you would have all your treasures buried in this giant pyramid So for the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. So almost every culture has some idea. And I think that comes from God. I think God has put that there in man's heart. What happened to the expression, you can't take it with you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they immediately found out that you actually can't take it with you. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. So someone came along and robbed all those tombs and all those pyramids and and took it for themselves. They thought they were taking it with them. That's right. They did. So, yeah, I didn't say their understanding of the life after death was was accurate, uh, They but they do have a, a, an understanding of life after death. Amen. Jeff Redorn's my guest. The life of Jesus is what we're talking about. Who is this Jesus? It's a fascinating study. So glad you're with us today. So number two, God clearly is seen in creation. This is probably one of the most powerful ways God has revealed himself to this world, that Roman 1 says that, that his glory should be clearly seen by what has been made. So get this, so that man is without excuse. When we open our eyes and we see creation, we should respond to, oh, wow, who made this? Have you ever noticed that anytime anybody, a believer or unbeliever, goes to a, an, a mountain scene or mm-hmm. a lake scene or whatever, they're in awe by what they see. I think that awe is really... God. They don't recognize it as God. Remember, it says they worshiped and served created things Mm -hmm. rather than the creator, Romans 1 goes on to say. 
and they don't realize it at all, that what they're really seeing is God's creation. And the awe that they feel, the awe that they're sensing is really an awe from God, and they just don't understand it. Regardless, all of creation declares God's glory. And people never tire of beauty. Oh, they don't. They never tire of looking at this majestic snow-capped mountain range Mm. or sitting and staring at the ocean for eight hours. Or even more, if you talk to scientists and biologists who are Christian, you could study any number of fields of science, and the more you get into it, the more you see evidence of design. Mm -hmm. I remember when our first child was about to be born, we were doing the week-by-week book, and this book would describe all the things that were happening to both mother and to child. And it's every week it's like, oh, man, it's almost as if someone designed it that way. And you know what is it, someone did design it that yeah. way. Yeah. You talk about everything that is happening to mother and child. What was dad doing at this time? <laughs> <laughs> I was reading the week by oh, week. Oh, okay, good, good. That, learning that makes, all these that things. That makes more sense then. So, uh, but yes, there's so many things in creation that declare his glory uh, from, from mountain scenes to uh, bacteria flagellum, uh, which is uh, completely uh, the finest motor that's ever been made. Yeah, so you know the story. I do know the story. Yeah, it's a great story. It's riveting, really. Um, Number three, we know his righteous decrees. Romans 1 goes on to say that man knows God's righteous decrees. God has written his requirements, his law on the heart of man. Mankind, again, across every culture, across the centuries, for example, has had some idea that the unjustified taking of life is murder, and they've written laws against it. Mm-hmm. Where did that common idea come from? And I would argue it came from God. He's written it on their hearts. Now, not every culture agrees what exactly is murder. Sometimes you can kill somebody justifiably for just theft. Other cultures say, no, it's got to be more serious. But virtually every people group in history has some idea that murder is wrong. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's that great philosophical argument, is murder wrong because it's against the law, or is it against the law because it's wrong? And we would argue it's against the law because it's wrong. Yes, because God put that there. Right. If you take the other position, that it's wrong because it's against the law, let's just change the law, and it's not wrong anymore. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I think we will take our break, but you are listening to my guest, Jeff Verdorn, who's doing the teaching today, and we're uh, discussing who is this Jesus is a series we started about a couple of months ago and we'll be at it for a while. There's a lot that we can know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and awfully glad that you have uh, are spending time with us today. I hope you uh, are learning a lot so far and if you have any uh, questions, you know you're always free to ask them uh, on the text line and we'll do our very best to answer them in a timely manner. That text line is 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, Faith Radio family. It's Bill Arnold from the Afternoons with Bill Arnold show. Boy, the creativity never ends, does it? So here you are listening to a podcast, which makes me very happy. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being interested in Faith Radio and the podcast. Now, because the podcasts are made available because of listener support, I would like to ask you kindly and prayerfully to consider supporting the show and Faith Radio. So you can become a Afternoons with Bill Arnold supporter by doing that at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for listening to the show and your financial support makes podcasts like mine possible. 
and helps tell more people around the world about Jesus through Faith Radio app. Support the show now, please, at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I don't know what kind of day you've had, but I think it's uh, never, never, ever uh, a waste to invite you into this wonderful discussion of the good news of the gospel and be reminded that God loves you and he has a spectacular plan for your life and he is in the center of all of your difficulties and your suffering and your moments of even despair. So let me just remind you that God loves you and uh, we love you here at Faith Radio and we're always glad when you take time to spend it uh, listening to the show, and I pray that you'll have uh, some great understanding of God's Word today. Our teacher is Jeff Verdorn. We're continuing our series on Who is This Jesus? And Jeff, I think it's time now to shift into how how is God going to draw everyone to himself? So this is God's call. So if he puts eternity into the hearts of man, if we clearly see God's glory by all that has been made, we all know across the planet God's righteous decrees. In fact, in Romans 2, it says he's written the law on their hearts. But then the next one is that Scripture declares that he sends his Holy Spirit out into the world to convict the world uh, in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, John sixteen eight. So the Holy Spirit is out at work in the world drawing people to himself, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he asks us, the next item, to preach this gospel to the whole world. And we'll get to the gospel in just a second. But to preach this good news to all the world, Mark 16, 5 says. You know, when when uh, Jesus is describing, uh, writing these seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the last church is Laodicea. And in that seventh letter, he says this, he ends it with, I stand at the door and knock. He says, whoever opens this door, I will come in and eat with them and they will with me. At this point, I want to focus on the knocking part. Jesus in this world, through creation, through eternity in man's hearts, the law written on their hearts, the gospel being preached to the whole world, the spirit convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment He is knocking at the door of every single person's heart. So if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, hear this knock, the knock from Jesus himself who is knocking on the door to your heart. And if you already know him, take this as an exhortation that you need to get out there and preach the gospel to those that you know and love so that they can be saved as well. And know that it's not up to you. We're going to get to the hearing the gospel in just a second here. But First Thessalonians one five says says when the gospel is preached, it comes along with power and deep conviction. So when the church fulfills its responsibility of bringing this good news to the world, know that we're not on our own. He says he comes along with power and deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. So he's right there with with you whenever the gospel is preached. 
And let that be a great reminder whenever you put yourself in a position where you're going to share your faith or you're going to talk to a neighbor or a friend or a family member about why faith is important to you, that, that God is alongside you. Absolutely. And coming along to put, help you put words in your mouth as to what to say. You know, I think there's a lot of people over the years when I've asked this question, what keeps us from going out and sharing our faith, preaching the gospel to others in our sphere of, of influence? And uh, I think that there's, there's fear. One of the big ones is fear, fear of rejection. Um, oh, what if they say no? What if they reject me? So on. Just remember, you are just the messenger. If they reject the gospel, they're they're not rejecting you. You have nothing to do with it. They're really rejecting God, right? They're rejecting his plan of salvation. You are just the messenger. So don't have a fear of rejection because they're not rejecting you in the first place. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so understand you're in good company that's if you're right. feeling rejected. And uh, Jesus yeah. says in this life you will have persecution. And and Paul, we see Paul being rejected often and throughout the books of book of Acts, so and you look um, at me like you're going to throw me into a volcano. So, I mean, the whole thing is very, very unnerving. <laughs> so what is the gospel? So we've been talking about this gospel. This is actually one of these words that has has just gotten so much confusion. People use the gospel to describe all kinds of things. I know that uh, you probably have heard the word often attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. People use this this phrase, the gospel, as in like they're describing the Christian life or God's, you know, plan of salvation or, or, or good works, or we even have to live out the gospel. These are all ideas that are foreign to the biblical understanding of what the gospel actually is. We don't have to wonder what the gospel is. God defines it clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, this gospel that I have received, I pass on to you. Here are the components that Christ died for our sins, our sins, everybody's sins, according to the scripture. It was foretold. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to many. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He died for sin. He was buried, but he rose again on that resurrection Sunday. And, yeah. how, and how critical that is, the resurrection Sunday. Absolutely. That, that def- is the defining moment of our faith. It is part of the gospel truth. The good news, gospel means good news, by the way. I hope people understand that. And this is really good news, that Christ died for sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Regardless of 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 how you see this this gospel in terms of you know is it is it works we need to live out the gospel you have to use words well, I'm I'm okay with that and the person using words today in studio is Jeff Verdorn we're continuing our study on who is this Jesus and I always think faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so it's wonderful that you model a Christian walk but you need to use words as well yeah the gospel in the end is a truth claim. It's a truth claim that God came to earth, you know, Jesus born of a virgin, uh, lived a sinless life, uh, died on a cross, you know, all the background to this, but then died for the sins of the world, the atoning work of him on the cross, but he conquered death. The grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. And he rose again, proving he was who he says he was, God incarnate in the flesh. And, And people need to believe that. We're going to get to belief what we do with all these truths in just a minute. But the gospel itself is a truth claim. You have to use words. This idea, preach the gospel, always use words if necessary. That's just, a, that's, that's, 
not consistent with the biblical reality of preaching the gospel to those who need to hear it in order to believe it and be saved. Um, you know, if you turn to the book of Acts, I, I love this. There are seven great speeches in the book of Acts. There is Peter to the crowd at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There is Peter to all the onlookers in Acts chapter 3. Stephen, who was the first martyr for Christ, who was stoned at the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. There's Acts chapter 10, where Peter is at Cornelius's house, the first Gentile converts to Christianity. He has a great speech in Acts chapter 10. There's Paul in the synagogue in, in Perge in Acts 13. Paul in Athens in Acts 17. I've actually been in Athens. I've been on Mars Hill. I've seen the plaque that commemorates Paul's great speech in Acts 17, wonderful speech. And then Paul uh, in Agrippa, before Agrippa in Acts 26. These are seven great speeches in Acts. What do they all have in common? I don't know, Jeff Dorn. What do they have in common? The one truth they all have in common is they all focus on one core message, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is what the early church was concerned with preaching so that people could hear it and believe it and be saved. And become part of the way. That's right. Which was what they called early Christians. It was. In Acts, it says that the early Christians were called the way, probably off of Jesus's words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So that's the gospel. And those are seven great, I did a whole study on Acts one time, and and uh, we did a whole section on the seven great speeches. And you know what? They all center around that gospel. That beautiful, beautiful gospel. So here's God's command. Mm-hmm. So he had a, a man had a problem. God had a desire. God's solution, God's call is through the gospel. But he not only has a desire for everybody to be saved, Scripture actually says that he commands people everywhere to repent and turn to me all the ends of the earth, Isaiah 45, 22 says. God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17. And Acts 16, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God speaks and we are all supposed to listen all the ends of the earth. You know, there's this great story in this Acts 16 passage that I just mentioned, and it's about midnight, in, and Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in prison. They were prisoners. And the other prisoners were listening to him, and obviously the guards were listening to him, because suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations were shaken and the prison was shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. In other words, everybody was basically free to go. Well, this jailer comes out and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And that's because it's understood that if you were a jailer and your prisoners escaped, you would be killed because you failed at your job. So he was going to save time and kill himself. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and he fell down before Paul and Silas and he was trembling and then brought them out and he asked this question. And it's 
got to be one of the most important questions in all of Scripture. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, this question, I should say the answer to this question, cuts through all of all this theology, all these ideas, all these religious thoughts about how men need to be saved and get to heaven and so on, it cuts through them all because the answer is very simple and very clear. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it's that simple. Wouldn't it be simple? Wouldn't wouldn't it be important for something profound to be simple and something simple to be profound? Oh, that's well said. Did you oh, come thanks. up with that? Uh, I think I did, yeah. Yeah, cool. It yeah. is. It's simple and profound. I just put a patent pending on it, though. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> and you it's so that, profound. be a commission that you have okay. to pay me. I will. I'm gonna, I just wrote it down, so Good. I'm going to use it in my class. Nice. So, it's so profound, it's simple, and it's so simple, it's profound. I love that because it is. It's one of the simplest truths. Remember, can children understand this? Gospel? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people listening came to faith as a child. Yeah. And you, Jesus said, unless you become like one of these little children, I think the idea here is that unless you believe this simple truth, look, I think there's a lot of people who think I can work my way to heaven. I can be a good enough person. I can do all these religious to do's and, and don'ts and I can follow all the rules. And I, and I, you know, I'm a self-made man and I think I can, we are, bring our performance mentality to God. Everything we've done in this world has been, we've been rewarded or punished on what we do. So we get a good Johnny, we get a star, we get a grade, we get a trophy, we get a diploma, all on what we do. We get we get a job, we get a promotion, we get the corner office, we get the salesman of the year award, all on what we do. We get demoted, we get fired with the bad stuff too, all because of what we do. And we bring that to God and we say, okay, God, what do I need to do in order to, to, to get the big prize? He says, there's nothing you can do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hmm. And so when we come back, we'll talk more detail about that word believe. It's so important to understand it. But there's the answer. It cuts through all this theology, and very clearly, Paul and Silence answered this jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and sure, you will be saved. Sure seems they had the jailer's attention at this point, <laughs> because if those prisoners were to escape, they would have taken the jailer's life. He was facing he, his own death by his own hands, yes. and so he so, seemed very open to this truth, yeah, to hear so he, this gospel. He went from calling them prisoners to sirs. What must I do to be saved? <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah. So Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're talking about Who is This Jesus, a series we started a couple months ago. We're going to come back and talk about the word believe when we uh, return. I have a feeling we're going to be reminded of a very powerful Greek word. We'll be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. We are back with Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about Who is This Jesus? series we started a couple months ago. And uh, uh, Jeff, let's we're running out of time. we got a lot to cover mm. still. Let's we get cracking. We, we need get to, to get cracking. Yep. 
So uh, hear and believe. So that's God's command. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He, that's what his exhortation to all the world. But so we need to hear the gospel for how can they believe in the one they've not heard of? Romans ten fourteen says faith comes from hearing the message. Romans ten seventeen, which you mentioned earlier. And Hebrews 4 is interesting. It says the message that they heard, so they heard it, was of no value to them because those who hear it did not combine it with faith. So we need to hear it, but now we need to act on it. Once you hear this gospel, this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what are you going to do with that truth? And that is where belief comes in. That is where faith comes in. Now, this word believe and the other the, the noun version of this word, which is faith, it's the, actually the same Greek word. One's the verb, one's the noun, one's pistuio, believe. One is pistis, which is faith, but it's basically the same core Greek word. Probably the two most important uh, Greek words in all of Scripture. But to to believe, to have faith in Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of this word in the Greek is twofold. It's to believe it's true. So I'm going to believe that it's true that Jesus came, he died on a cross, was buried and rose again, and I'm going to entrust the second component of this Greek word, pistuyo, I'm going to entrust in him for my salvation. And God says when you do that, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, he says you will be saved. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life, John three sixteen. Everyone who believes in him shall not die, but live eternally, John six forty. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, is made righteous, ten four, and is born of God, first John five two. These are the things that happen that the moment you believe, God then saves you. And God's work of salvation, which is my next point, is so many things. It's this forgiveness. It's receiving the Holy Spirit is one of the things God does the moment you're saved. Baptism by fire, huh? Yes. Yeah. In fact, you're, it's, just, it's described in Acts 10 and 11 as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus meant by those words, that phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, literally means, biblically, receiving the Holy Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 1 says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He says he gives you eternal life. He moves you from death to to life. You now have new life. You're made a new creation. That being made new is the, is also portrayed in this idea of being born again. You were spiritually dead, separated from God. Now you've become alive spiritually. You've been you have had a spiritual birth. So when John, I'm sorry, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, spirit gives birth to spirit, and he says, you have to be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what he was describing. Salvation, this new birth, this new life by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once you believe, God saves you. And when the th- third person of the Trinity takes residence in your life, I would call that a defining moment. It is. A you went from not having the Holy Spirit living inside of you to having the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I will argue something happened. It absolutely did happen, and it is a birthday. It is We have a birthday when we are born into this world physically. Remember Jesus with Nicodemus? I tell you the truth, but unless you are born again, and what you just described and what we're describing here in God's salvation is being 
born again, born of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is dead, separated from God. It needs life. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you that life, that eternal life that you now have and will possess forever. Because remember, he gives you the Holy Spirit. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with you? Forever. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that assurance in just a minute. But some of the other things that happen at the moment of salvation is that we are justified. Yeah? No, I'm just saying. I want to make sure if people want to get a pen out, (laughs) now would be the time to do it. Jeff Verdorn is uh, teaching on who is this Jesus and some of the benefits that you will come into when you understand that Jesus is your Savior, uh, that God just justifies you in that moment and gives you all kinds of amazing uh, things for you to have be part of your life. Let's hear some of these, Jeff. Well, justification, you just mentioned one more thing that happens at the moment of salvation. Romans 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. You were apart from God, and now through faith you've been brought near to God. You've been reconciled with God. You now have peace with God. Your standing before God is now right. That is what justification is. In fact, another theological concept is this idea of imputed righteousness. You now received God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, as your own, Romans 5.19 says, that now that you've been made righteous, you've been brought into alignment, if you will, with Christ's righteousness. Your Bible in front of you is left justified. The, the lines of text have been brought into alignment with each other. And that's the idea of justification. We have been brought into alignment with the righteousness of Christ himself. That's why he can call us saints in Scripture. Mm-hmm. This is a topic we covered a number of times ago that when Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus and the saints in Colossae, we are saints. We have been made holy and righteous in his eyes. We are blameless before God. We've stand forgiven. Our sins have been separated from as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He no longer counts our sins against us. We've been forgiven, made new. We have new life. We're born again, eternal life, and we're given the right to be called his children now. We used to be Our father was the devil, Jesus said, and now our father is our heavenly father. We've been brought into this community of God. We are now participants of his kingdom. That is salvation. And the more you study salvation, the more you see all the things that God has done in a person, the moment they believe and are saved, uh, you you just fall down before the Lord and just say, thank you, Lord. Eternal life is the greatest gift that you can get. You're now saved. But the pattern, the path, this is kind of cool. Believe in the Greek is in the active voice. Mm -hmm. We need to do the believing. Salvation is in the passive voice. It means that it's done to us. God is the one who saves. Mm -hmm. We believe God saves. That is why, by the way, we have this picture, this beautiful picture of Revelation 3 I mentioned at the opening start of the hour. I stand at the door and knock. Whosoever opens the door, mm-hmm. a picture of faith, believing, active, we do that. Jesus says, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. Mm-hmm. Salvation. He does that. Yeah. And he also invites us into an abundant life. And he puts eternity in our heart today. 
uh, when you believe, and that becomes part of how we walk out our life as a follower of Jesus. Absolutely. This is what we are describing here is the salvation that, that, you know, when you believe you are saved. Now, guess what? We need to figure out how to live out this salvation the rest of our lives. And for and there are many, many, many exhortations in Scripture of where God says, I've made you holy and blameless. Now I want you to live out your calling. Live holy and blameless in this world. Ephesians 4 says that God wants us to live out the calling that he has for us. Mm-hmm. He's made us new. He wants us to live in that newness of life. And do you know what? What I have found, the more we trust in him, the more we abide in him, the more we seek him first in his kingdom, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we store up our treasures in heaven and not on earth, the more spiritual fruit we have, that fruit of that spirit, and therefore the more good works, if you will, we will do in in this world. We will be living out God's calling on our lives. Mm-hmm. Jeff, great study. Sure appreciate uh, what you shared today. And it seems like there is a word called sanctification that could have uh, showed up at the mm-hmm. last minute. It, I think it, that's what you uh, were describing. Yeah, absolutely. That is kind of the process of what I call progressive sanctification or this process of living out right. this new life uh, more and more and more as we progress. And then next time we have to cover assurance because we didn't get to that. Once you're saved, do we have assurance of salvation yeah. or not? Uh, awesome. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, the teaching today. And that wraps up our time and our show for the day. Thanks for spending time with me. I hope you have a great evening. And thank you for supporting Faith Radio. I hope you uh, get a good night's sleep. And I love you. And I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.